Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I am David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. This is Don't Miss This. And this is try number three. So <laughs> and that we're, never happens. Yeah. So you better love this. One. <laughs> we're seriously so far, but we love this lesson so much, and the and it, the audio messed up when we already recorded this. So right now we want to die, but we're excited to do it again because it's so exciting. It's really really good stuff. Um, a lot of chapters. If you are new, two quick things. Number one, these come from our study journal. Um, we have a devotional book and a journal book. Um, it has um, blank pages and note pages and these like follow along pages. You can get it at DeseretBook.com or in the store maybe by the time. It'll be in the store someday. Right now, mm-hmm. quickest way is probably still online. Yep. And you this know? is the study journal. And then there's also a devotional book. So don't get confused. This is the journal. For those of you who are new and just found us on YouTube and you wonder about the newsletter that we keep talking about every week, you can find that at emilybellfreeman.com. Bell is B-E-L-L-E. Make sure you put that E at the end. And when you get the newsletter, it's going to come every Monday. It's giving you tips of things to study with your kids, things to study with teens. Um, If you study with a group of adults or as a couple, there's going to be things that you might want to look for there. Um, We drop in some other things, sometimes a song, sometimes a um, general conference conference talks that you want to look at. So, And then also in there, one of our favorite parts of the newsletter this year is a download page called Take 5. And it just has five scripture verses on there that you can, if you do scripture study and you're looking for just a quick way to bring everybody together, one verse and then a question with that verse and then a challenge, something fun to think about as you go throughout the day. So you might want to keep it by your kitchen table or wherever you do your family scriptures daily. And there's a new one every week. There's new tips every week that go with the actual lesson and new take five cards that are, they all come from scriptures within that block of scripture that we're on. Okay, should we let them see the board? Yeah, we'll move over. Here's the board, everyone. Okay, there's the board. We'll come back fast so you don't get bored. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a father of six. I'm allowed dad jokes. Okay, so this is 2 Nephi 11 through 25. Kind of a big chunk. We're going to look at just some of our favorite parts from it, which is a really good teaching tip. Remember when you teach, you don't have to cover everything, either as a dad or a mom or in Sunday school. Just pick those things that are just like you think most relevant that are going to have the greatest discussions biggest bang for your buck. So mm-hmm. we do that here. Hopefully y'all do it in your places too. This starts off this section, 2 Nephi 11, with this really cool um, introduction from Nephi. I think we may have talked about this last week, um, but I can't remember. But he talks about saying, I want to talk more about Isaiah. This is 2 Nephi 11 too, because um, he saw my Redeemer, even as I've seen him. And my brother Jacob has also seen him. And these three writers are the main writers, the only writers of the small plates of Nephi that are right here at the beginning. And it's so awesome to have these three witnesses of Jesus Christ just right from the Mm -hmm. get-go at the beginning of the book. When you pick this book up at a library or wherever, you know, get it from a missionary, you know right at the beginning. This is a book about Jesus. Yeah. And these are people who saw him. Saw him. They know him. They experienced his attributes, they experience his grace, they experience him in their life firsthand, and now they're passing it on. 
And that's kind of what we want to talk about today is really people experiencing Jesus firsthand, how we do, how Isaiah did, um, just what that looks like and what it could look like in our life. Okay, so we're going to get a little bit of Jesus from Jacob, a little bit of Jesus from Isaiah, and then a whole lot of Jesus from Nephi today. So um, the first one, Jacob, if you look, same chapter, 2 Nephi 11, he talks about all the things that his soul delights in. Um, and you might want to think about that. What does my soul delight in? That's such an old-fashioned way of talking, but it's just good. And it would be so fun to just make a list. Like, that. you could start out like that. What does your soul delight in? And think about ordinary things. Like, if you ask me right now, fresh flowers. I love warm chocolate chip cookies in the afternoon. What else? Except they didn't really mix chocolate chip cookies and flowers. Why? I love fresh flowers and, and the smell chip of cookies. chocolate chip cookies. Whenever I see fresh flowers, I kind of feel like I'm a deer and I want to eat them. No, but then, don't. Like... <laughs> Did you see how nice my flowers are upstairs? They're really pretty and they smell and good. And they could have had cookies. Yeah. Oh, climbing in bed at night, that delights me so much. <laughs> it fills your I love soul doing with joy. Um, it's fun to just start out with those things and let people just be thinking, what are the things that really your soul just delights in? And then we love how Jacob and is And then also little... including like those things of like, you know, really yes. the things of the soul, yeah. you know? And he starts listing things, right, that delight him, starting in for, I delight in proving unto my people the coming of Christ. Now, remember, he does this before um, Jesus comes the first time, but that would still be something that our soul could delight in today, like letting people know, hey, look, the world might be a little bit messy. Things are hard, but Jesus really is coming. All his promises really are going to be fulfilled. He really will. There will be a millennium. There will be a happy ending. Like he loves telling people that mm -hmm. he loves letting them know. He loves in verse five, the covenants of the Lord, his promises. Remember the book of Mormon is over and over again that he's not going to give up on you, that he's going to keep reaching out. Wouldn't, doesn't your soul delight in telling people that just mm -hmm. letting them know like, Hey, wherever you're at, God's not going to give up on you. Yes. He hasn't given up on you. Um, he says in that verse, I delight in grace. I delight in his power and his mercy in his deliverance. In verse 6, my soul delighted in proving to people that except for Jesus should come, all men must perish. He just, this is what I love to tell people about. This is what I love to preach. And it's so fun to just think about, like, really, in your own life, if you were going to have a Jacob moment, if you were going to list, these are the things my soul delighted about Jesus this week, what would that be? And maybe there's one experience, or maybe mm -hmm. there's one scripture, or maybe there's one story. You had an awesome one last week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we talked about this right before we started. Um, so we were, it was our friend Chris's funeral. And uh, Jenny had gotten there before me. I was speaking at something earlier, so kind of rushing to get there. And um, we had the seat saved. And I texted her, not while driving, friends, <laughs> to find out where she was. And uh, she texted back. And she said, oh, I'm on the west side of the building. And I was like, that helps me zero because I'm not a compass and I have no sense of direction. And she knows that. So she texted back um, on the opposite side of the Sacramento table <laughs> is how it came through my phone. I was like, oh, that's fun. Um, iPhones aren't very religious. So obviously it made that switch. Um, and Emily's daughter, Grace, who uh, I just love me to too. pieces. Um uh, is serving her mission in Sacramento. So when Jenny said the Sacramento table, I wrote back grace. That's all I wrote back talking about grace. But then right after I sent it, I was like, huh? Oh, cause I said, then I thought, 
wait, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. I said, what if we called it the grace table from now on? And Jenny wrote back, I like that. And I was like, me too. That was our little conversation. Thank you, AutoCorrect, for like helping me give a new name for the sacrament table. But don't you love thinking about that? And so all week long, that is what I've thought about. I, I couldn't wait to go to church yesterday. I really couldn't because I started thinking about the grace table. And I started thinking about Jesus like offering and leaving a spot for me at it. And saying, I've prepared this feast for you. And I felt like I was going to go to church. And I would say, well, what's on the menu? And he would say, oh, it's deliverance. And it's mercy. And it's strength. And it's it's power. Mm-hmm. And it's whatever that you need. This is what's being offered. And um, when we talked to Grace last week, it was so awesome. Because she actually talked about that. They had had a 70 come and talked about. Yeah, because I told her the story. Yes, about and the Grace table. Like, and and she then was she was like, like, oh my gosh, I have the best story ever. Yes, and it, and it was. It really is the best story ever. Um, because he talked about how when we come into that room, we come broken and we come weary and we come needing something. And that as you think about each of that piece of bread, that it's broken. And he said, there is enough broken for everybody to, to represent everybody in the entire congregation is in that tray. And as it comes through, he challenged each of those missionaries, you look for the piece that represents your broken this week. And I was like, oh, all of a sudden the sacrament became so much more personal, but it also hinted towards grace, right? And we don't talk about grace very often, but we are going to today. And this might be a really good place just to introduce what even is grace and what does it have to do with Jesus? And what would I have to do with the sacrament table? And as we look at what Isaiah teaches and later what Nephi teaches, we're going to be talking a lot about that word grace. I had a woman come up to me last week and she had heard a lesson that I had just given on grace. And she said to me, I am so grateful that I had the opportunity to listen to that because after my father died, I felt a strength that attended me and it attended me for months afterward. And I couldn't put a name to what it was, but it was a power that just carried me through that time. And she said, as soon as I was done listening, I knew immediately it was grace. That's what the name of that was. And we don't often talk about grace. What does it look like? What does it feel like? My favorite definition of grace actually is comes from the Greek translation of the word, and it's charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And it's the touch of his hand on our heart or his touch on our heart and the reflection of that in a life. So that every time we have been touched by the Savior and that transforms us or changes us or enables us or strengthens us, it it makes us into something we wouldn't normally be. That is grace. That's what grace looks like. That's what it is. And it's awesome because Isaiah kind of has an experience like that, that he tries to describe for us what that's going to look like. Yeah, it's actually just a really, really favorite chapter from him. If you go to 2 Nephi 16, it's just one of the many times where he explains this in a different way. And this seems to be a spot where Isaiah begins his ministry or like kind of a like a um, like a hinge point mm-hmm. story in his life. But he has this dream. He's like you. He has this I dream. And he's in the temple and he sees the Lord. This is 16. Did I say that? 2 Nephi 16. Mm-hmm. He sees the Lord sitting on this throne and his, his, his robes are filling the whole temple. And he sees all of these angels in verse 2 that are surrounded with these wings. In verse 3, they are crying out, holy, holy, holy. It's just a sacred, like, 
just can you just picture it just this experience and his reaction in verse 5 is woe is unto me I am undone I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell with a people of unclean lips and he is just feels totally uncomfortable being in that place thinks he's going to contaminate it thinks he's thinks he doesn't belong like I, I just I can't be and experience this right now I, I'm unfit I'm unworthy to be here and then something kind of amazing and alarming happens. And this is what you love um, about Isaiah. Remember we talked about this, that he is going to paint pictures for you. He's going to try and tell you this story in a way that is going to be unforgettable. And that's what's about to happen. Yeah. So he then, this is verse six, then one of these seraphim, um, these winged creatures comes <laughs> flying with this alive coal in his hand. Live means burning, flaming, like hot. Um, and that he took off with the tongs and he comes flying at him, which you would think that is about, he's going to get me. <laughs> and he comes in verse seven and it says he lays it on his mouth. Um, and, and then it says this, the angel says, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And remember he had said the lips were a symbol of his sin, the symbol of his brokenness, undoneness. And now this this red hot coal comes, touches his lips, and and they're purged and and they're and they're gone. Um, you you might remember that in temples there were altars, and the altars represented Jesus, the sacrifice of of Jesus. So maybe the picture he's painting for us right here is he has just been touched, like you said, by by what was that definition? The touch on your heart. The touch on your heart of this red hot love of Jesus, this power of Jesus. And what happens next is so cool. He says in verse eight, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And it's interesting the difference between at the very beginning when he comes in, he says, I'm undone, I'm unfit, I'm broken. I I can't even be here. And then after he's had this experience with the love and grace and and power of God, he's confident, he's full of hope, and he's got a message to share, share, right? He's like, send me. I've got something to tell people, and it's this, that your sin doesn't contaminate his holiness, but his holiness can mm-hmm. purge your sin. And, and when you come to sacrament meeting, I, ever since I read this and kind of thought through it, sacrament meeting has changed for me because when I take the bread and the water, symbols of his love, and his grace, and I put them up to my lips. I think about this scene, this moment that Isaiah has, and this chance to be like, I came here broken. I came here sinful. I came here needing and wanting. And undone. And undone. And now I can leave and say, I've got, I'm ready. Send me. Uh, I've got hope. I've got uh, renewed energy again. Mm-hmm. I've got this like sense of your love and care. And it's, it's, this, is, this is the power of grace. This is what it is. When you say we don't talk about it very much, this is why we need to. Because when we, when we don't, we feel broken mm-hmm. and weak. And when we do, we feel ready to move and we feel confident, yeah. you know? It's so so this is awesome. You're going to find this all over with Isaiah where he is just going to talk about this is what Jesus can do for you. This is why I want to tell the whole world about him. Um, now we're going to go into Nephi where he's going to talk about... Um, talk about Jesus and talk about grace. So this is one of the most famous chapters mm-hmm. in the whole white church. It's 2 <laughs> Nephi 
chapter 25. And, and when you think about grace, this is probably the first verse that comes to your mind. It just is for most people. And before we even tell you the verse, I want to tell you a story. Because several years ago, I was sitting up in the family room with my daughter Meg and her good friend Sam. And we were talking about Christ's grace and what that looked like in our life. And I'll never forget Sam sitting on the couch and she was holding her baby and she was trying to do hair school and just brand new married and she was so overwhelmed with her life. And Meg was the same. She was going to school full time and working full time and there just were not enough hours in the day, which is why we were talking about grace. And Sam said to me, I just don't get it. Like I don't get how grace works because I feel like I have to do something in order to experience grace. And then she said this line that was so interesting. She said, I have spent my entire life trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And I thought to myself, that's so interesting. And I said to her, I know where you're getting that. I know where that's coming from. And it's this verse in 2 Nephi 25. Um, verse 23, and it'll be a verse you're so familiar with. For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. And that's what she was asking. What am I supposed to do? That's what I need to know is what am I supposed and, to do? And there's a teaching a lot in the church about that, right? Where it's kind of like, oh, if you will do this much then God will meet you. And then he makes up the rest yep. is kind of the phrase And you hear, hear people tell stories all the time too of like when they're in the middle of it and they're like, and then I had done everything I could, you know, it's just almost this like checklist. And it just, it doesn't necessarily make sense. And here is why. I said to the girls, can you think of anywhere in scripture where someone had received grace and they actually didn't do anything to qualify for that grace. And we left a spot on the study guide journal to kind of brainstorm and yeah, write about that. Yeah, write those down. We'll Just give you some ideas, but family. how many are there? One of my favorites is this. It's the day when Jesus is teaching in the temple. He sat down, everyone's sitting around him, and they bring to him a woman caught in adultery in the very act, and they throw her at his feet. And then you remember how the story goes, how, how he stoops down and draws in the sand and he's just right there at her level and then he's talking to her accusers and there's that talk about if, if anyone has never made a mistake, you can throw the first stone and pretty soon everybody's gone and that woman stands up and she is offered Christ's grace in that moment, right? And he says to her, go on with your life and don't sin anymore, right? She's given this second chance. And I remember saying to the girls, what did she do to qualify for that grace? If, that, if that's what we're supposed to be doing, like what was her all she could do? Because she was caught in the very act. There wasn't anything that had like made her qualified to receive grace, if that's what you were supposed to do. And we thought about that and then we were like, yeah. And what about Paul on the road to Damascus with a letter in hand threatening breathing out slaughter to the saints what was his all you can do yeah and this year moment? alma the younger yeah. we're gonna look at where you're just like what did he do to qualify for that second chance you would say like oh he tried to destroy the church yeah. that's how he qualified right? like, why did jesus come in that moment and be like and now here is grace for you because it just doesn't reconcile with this scripture and as we thought about all those places i was like okay 
don't you ever just wish you could say to Nephi, what were you talking about here? Because this is so confusing for so many people. We need more insight. What You need to give us more information here. And as I was saying about that, I thought to myself, I, I just wish we could be like, Nephi, tell us what this means. And then as I was thinking about it, I thought, wait, what if he already has? Because have you ever noticed how when you read this verse, you only read this verse? <laughs> um, like who's read the rest of 2 Nephi 25? We don't even know. Yeah, which by the way, pause, is a really good scripture study skill. That like, it's it's not good to take scriptures out of context. The only time that's good is for missionary plaques. But every other time, what is going on? Like what's <laughs> happening all over? Because <laughs> you can't put a whole chapter on a plaque. Oh, They'd be so true. big. Um, but this is a great way, like, Remember, there didn't used to be verses, didn't used to be chapter breaks. So what is the flow of what's, what's yeah. it in what's its he full context? About? And what if Nephi really did tell us what we were supposed to do? That was my question when we went in. Da -da -da -da. It's so interesting because if you were to label the chapters of the Book of Mormon, like what if one day we were like, let's give every chapter a, its own title. Wait, then, did you know I did that for the Doctrine and Covenants? No. Was yeah. it better? I read Because who wants to go to section like three? Yeah. I want to go to... Second chances. Oh. Or like see? section that you know. Okay, so what if second Nephi I'm not twenty-five? Gonna do it for everybody. We were gonna re <laughs> rename it. All no, the I apostles are to. so happy right now that you're not. <laughs> don't don't get your feelings. Just a nickname. Okay. It's just a nickname. A nickname Bible. David Butler's nickname Bible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the Book of Mormon, we would probably name Second Nephi twenty-five after all you can do. I'm certain that is what we would choose. Mm -hmm. But if Nephi were to name it, I don't think he would have named it that. And it's when we got into the chapter that I was like, oh, he gave us the key all along. It's been there this whole time. We just have to take the time to find the key. So 2 Nephi 25, you remember we did a couple weeks ago. At the beginning of this chapter is all the promises and hints and keys for how to read Isaiah. And then you get into about 13 through 16 and he's going to make a shift right there. And all of a sudden he is going to give a sermon. Now I'm just going to read you a couple key uh, lines from these verses. And I want you to be listening for the repeated phrase. That's your job. What is the repeated phrase? So in verse 13, it talks about all those who shall believe on his name shall be saved. And in 14, unto as many as will believe on his name. And in verse 16, in two separate places, until they shall be persuaded to believe in Christ. And just below that, they shall believe in Christ. And then we're going to get to verse 23. For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ. And in verse 24, we believe in Christ. And in verse 28, for the right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not. And in verse 29, and now behold, I say unto you that the right way is to believe in Christ. If Nephi was going to name this chapter, what would he name it? After all you can do. No. <laughs> believe in Christ. It's so easy. And then it makes me want to just change that one verse. If you're going to rename the whole Bible, I'll just change this one verse. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what I wanted to say. You know that it is by grace that we are saved after we believe in Christ. That's what he's trying to tell us. All you can do is believe in Christ. That's it. That's your yeah, job. It's not all you can do. It's the only thing you can do is believe in Christ. Yeah. 
and he and he's gonna save you by grace that is what's gonna happen now sometimes when we teach this people are like i don't think you're right that happens to me all the time hmm. it, that's too easy yeah i don't think you're right and maybe you don't trust either of us and that is fine if you don't but we brought we brought we a good brought Dieter. If you want to know more about grace, this is a talk you want to study. It is the gift of grace, April 2015. And this is what he says. This is him talking now, not us. The prophet Nephi... Do his accent, I dare you. I can't use it. Okay, no. (laughs) (laughs) The prophet Nephi made an important contribution to our understanding of God's grace when he declared, We labor diligently to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. However, he says, I wonder if sometimes we misinterpret the phrase, after all we can do. We must understand that after does not equal because. We are not saved because of all that we can do. Have any of us done all that we can do? Does God wait until we've expended every effort before he will intervene in our lives with his saving grace? I am certain if I knew that the Savior's grace allows and enables us to overcome sin. This is why Nephi labored so diligently to persuade his children and brethren to believe in Christ. It is such an important concept. And I think what becomes important as we look at this all in context and and everything Nephi was teaching us is, what does it look like to believe then? Because maybe that becomes the most important thing. And for those two girls on my couch that day who were just struggling to get through life, um, those moments when we feel undone, those moments when we feel not worthy, those moments when we're just not enough for what is going on, those are the moments when we have to believe in Christ and in his promises and that he told us he would show up and he would bring an enabling strength that was going to help us get through and yeah and you and you think about the lady who came up to you and just said oh now I know what to call it like the discussion of grace for her was one of relief and it was one of strength and it was one of hope and and renewal Mm -hmm. right like and so if the discussion of grace isn't leading to that, I don't think we're understanding it correctly. That's so true. Right? Because Nephi, will, a couple of verses later, you remember, he'll say, um, we talk of Christ. We rejoice in Christ. We, we want to tell our kids about Christ. Isaiah wanted to run out of the temple with a message. I'm sure that lady had something to say mm-hmm. after she left the temple. And Paul and Alma's whole ministry, after they experience grace, they have something that they want to say. That they want. Yeah. And so... If, if, if that's not happening for yeah. us, then um, then I don't think we're understanding or talking about it right. Right. I think that is so true. So let's come back to that, what you were on with, um, what does it look like to actually yeah, to believe. believe in Christ? Um, one of the best examples of that I have ever found is in a story that was told about something that happened many years ago. There was a man named Charles Blondin. We've actually talked about him before in the New Testament when we talked about grace, but we're going to tell this story again because... It's such a good example of exactly what Nephi is talking about. Um, Charles was a tightrope walker. He was really good at it. And one day he decided he was going to try and walk from Canada to the United States on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. So he hung a rope 1,100 feet across and 160 feet off the water. And he was going to make this crossing. And people came and looked at the rope and they were like, there's no way 
He's going to make it. They didn't think the rope could sustain him across. That's and, not the problem. It was the drop. <laughs> like, I don't know why they're concerned about the rope. I'm like, what about the fall? Like, I'm so, I hate heights, everybody. I can't. And it's true because if it. you've ever been to Niagara Falls, you know there just is a constant gust that is coming off the falls mm-hmm. and mist, too. So it's not like it's a dry, stable rope that he's attempting and um, my hands sweat every time you tell this story. But go ahead. <laughs> on that day, that first day, everyone paid a nickel to come and watch this Someone died. crossing. Watch. That's what they paid a nickel for. They're bad people. <laughs> the Canada border and the United States border were just full. And he went across and he made it. And then he did it 300 more times over the course of his lifetime. And every time he did it, he did something different. Once he walked backwards, once he crossed with a potato sack over his head. Once he crossed halfway, stopped in the middle with a stove and cooked an omelet, and then he went needs grace. The rest is what of the way needs. across. This is too much. Um, and one day he showed up on the side of the uh, Canada. I think he was on the Canada side, and his manager Harry Colcord was on his back, and he was going to make the crossing with Harry Colcord, which you just think is a little crazy if you're Harry Colcord. And there's pictures of this happening that you just love to go back and look at that moment. I love that that's a little crazy. You know, like, (laughs) trick-or-treating when you're 15 is a little crazy. That is a full-on... It was a lot crazy. (laughs) And so they get ready to go. On this day, they didn't just string up the rope. They actually put guy lines every 20 feet. So they took another rope and they strung it to a, a solid place that would hold the rope tighter every 20 feet. Except for there were 50 feet in the middle where they couldn't. There just there was nothing to ground the rope to. And so they got ready to go. And they start going. And they get to this 50 feet of free swaying rope. And Charles Blondin says to his friend, Harry, from this moment on, you are no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. I want you to look up. And if I sway... I want you to sway with me. Do not do any balancing on your own. If you do, we will both go to our deaths. Your job is just to cling to me with all of your might and mind. And then he started across that place. And they made it all the way to the end. You can breathe again. (laughs) They made it all the way to the end. A few guy lines snapped on the way, but they made it. And... Every time I read this story, it reminds me of grace for this reason. Who did the work of the crossing? Who was in charge of the saving of Harry? Um, Harry's feet never even touched the tightrope, not once. It was Blondin. He did all the work. He carried Harry all the way across. He took him to a place he could not get to on his own. He was not capable of getting there on his own. And what was Harry's job? To believe Blondin could do it. And and to, and to cling, hold, hold on, on to, him, to him. I love that part to of it. Him and balance and sway where he swayed with all of his might and mind. And I think to myself, that is what belief looks like. When you're talking about well, what does it mean to believe? It means to cling to someone with all of your might, mind and strength knowing that they can get you to a place that you would never be able to get to on your own. That's what Jesus promises, that he can do that. He promises us salvation. All he asks of us is believe on my name. And I think 
You know, we talked about charis and what that means. And it's, it's that that's touch. That's the Greek word for grace. The Greek yeah. word for grace, that touch on our heart. But that's, like, that's not all grace is. It's interesting that that's not the end of the definition. The end of the definition isn't that Jesus will come and touch your heart. Because there's that second part of that definition, which is, and then we will reflect that in our life. Once we have experienced his grace, that transforming power, that enabling power, that strengthening power, we are actually going to reflect that. And it's going to look like obedience and covenant keeping and serving others and the love that we manifest through keeping his commandments. That's what receiving grace looks like. It transforms us. Well, you see it in Paul's life, in Alma the Younger's life, and, you know, in Isaiah's story where it's like, once I was touched by that red hot love, once I experienced that, then he said, send me. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to go. Like, he wasn't saying, I will go on a mission and earn salvation. But he's like, once I felt salvation, then I wanted to go out. And, and preach. It was a, a mm-hmm. like it's a re- charity is a reflection of what of we know about grace, grace. right? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I was thinking is you were talking two things. One is I love that the manager, I forgot his name, Harry, Harry, like had seen him do it 300 times. Mm. If it was his first time, I don't think he would have gotten on his shoulders, but he trusted him as someone he knew he could that could do it. Yeah. You know, like yeah. his experience w- with him in the past led him to like hold tighter. And another thing I thought is, so in this box, what does it look like to believe? We might ask, what does it look like to hold tightly to Christ? So you might say something like um, a daily devotional in the scriptures. That helps me cling to him. It helps me know him. It helps me mm-hmm. feel closer it to him. It helps me balance. Yeah. And that, you see how this is such a difference? I don't go to the temple to earn grace. I go to the temple to like hold closer to him, you know, to mm-hmm. like receive it, to like grab onto it yeah. you know and that's that's what you could put in here is what kind of things do you do to pull yourself closer to him and i think it's important to realize we're not talking here about going from one border to another border right from canada to the united states the transforming power of grace we're talking about is what happens in our ordinary everyday life i think to myself it's those moments when you feel undone it's the moments when you feel unclean it's the moments when you are not enough for the situation you have gotten yourself into. And sometimes that's when you're having an argument with a child, or sometimes that's when you're trying to figure out something with a spouse, or sometimes that's when you are extended a calling that you think, I'm not capable of doing this right now. That's when we experience grace in our life because what happens, at least for me, is in those moments, I actually will pray and say, I need Christ's grace right now in my life. I need it to transform me into the best mom I can be for this child in this moment. I need it to transform me into the best wife, into the best leader, into the best teacher. Like Christ has the ability to to bring us enabling strength, to increase our capacity, to magnify us through his grace, to become exactly who he needs us to be. Grace is what allows us to go through that process of becoming. Yeah, and it's I love that description of it is not this receiving it at the very end, but living in it. Along you the know? way. Like, I just mm-hmm. want to live in this. Man, we, we love this 
like this little line right here, even after any or all um, that we are, of, of, <laughs> after I can't even read, I'm so excited about grace. <laughs> even after any or all of that that we do, end of the day, beginning of the day, we are still saved by grace. And I love thinking about grace as a person. We're still saved by Jesus. We're met by him. We're transformed by him. And man, the way this talking of grace, that makes me want to talk of him mm-hmm. and rejoice in him and preach of him and, and gather my and him. gather my kids around mm-hmm. and say, let me tell you what he's really like. Yep. Let me tell you what grace really is. And let me tell you how you can live in it today, tomorrow, and every single day of your life. It's why we testify and encourage and invite people to believe in Christ. That's why. And sometimes when we talk about grace, well, every time we talk about grace, we go back to exactly what we talked about in the New Testament. And those of you who are with us then will remember in the Gospels that the thing that we love most about Jesus Christ actually could become a definition of grace. And it is that he meets us where we are, as we are, but he doesn't intend to leave us there. That he plans to take us to places that we could never get to on our own. That's what his grace looks like and that's what it does. And that's what we want you to remember as you leave from this lesson today. That as you look at these witnesses of Jesus Christ from the very beginning and Jacob who sold delighted in grace and Isaiah who experienced that grace on his lips and it changed his life. And then we go to Nephi who again comes back right where we began and says, Just believe in Christ. I know him. I have seen him. I have felt his grace working in my life. Just believe in Christ. And he will take you to places you you can't even dream of on your own. Mm. Amen. Y'all, if you don't clap after things like this, you didn't understand. (laughs) Not because of us, but you know, this is why I want to clap in church. When somebody preaches grace, I'm just like, okay, okay. I'm in. Send me. Here I am. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. Okay. See you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.